turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I told you last week how doing your taxes for a Christian, it's actually a chance to remind ourselves of God's goodness to us. Because, you know, as part of your taxes, you end up with a number. This is my income. This is how much money I made. And, and for us as believers, we know that comes from God. That is God's mercy to us. That, that number of all that came in and all these different sources, that is God's kindness, that he has taken care of us. Though he has only promised us food and clothing and shelter day by day, the reality is he usually provides so, so much more for all of us. And so for us as Christians doing our taxes, it's a chance to say, oh, oh, look, God has been good to me. And it's a chance for us to know our income, because I read you this verse from the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. They've asked him a bunch of questions. One of the questions they've asked him about is giving, giving to God's work, to God's people, to the church, to church planting, to missions, those sorts of things. And if you remember, he just gives them a couple sentences. He says, you should set aside a portion of your income regularly. However, God has, whatever God has given you, set aside a portion of it. And I know that frustrated some of you because you came and talked to me about it. We looked at the old system when we had a tabernacle, when we had a temple, when God was behind that curtain where everything was prescribed. You, can, you give these offerings, you give a tithe, a tenth. And it's, if you have a Bible reading plan, so my Bible reading plan today, one of the books I'm in is the book of Leviticus. And one of the things it talks about is for shepherds, the tithe on the sheep. How do you do that? And it says, after all the sheep have been born, you don't go through and just pick out the one, you know, okay, there's 100 sheep. You don't go through and pick out 10. You just herd them past the shepherd. He puts out his staff and every 10th sheep that comes through, you pop it and it goes to God. You don't get to choose the ones. They just come randomly past you and every 10th one, you take it out. Like, the old system prescribed exactly what you gave and how you gave it. And the new system, which again, many of us find frustrating, is set aside a portion of your income. And so if you had questions about that, I have good news for you. The Corinthians had questions about that as well. Because they wrote back to Paul and they asked him about some of the things he had talked to them about in 1 Corinthians. And so we have the letter of 2 Corinthians. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, Paul doesn't write two sentences about giving. He writes two chapters about it. He, I think they've asked him questions. Like, wait, wait, wait. Well, you know, could you give us a little more maybe? Because under the old system, everything is set out. You know exactly what you have to give, when you have to give it. It's all there in black and white. So what do we do now? We don't have the tabernacle anymore. We don't have the temple. We don't have priests. We don't have Levites. We don't have offerings. We don't have sacrifices. We don't have the tithe. It's all gone. What do we do now, today? Now that Jesus has come, now that that curtain has torn open between God and man, and we don't need a temple or a tabernacle anymore, God dwells within us, what do we do? This is what Paul writes them. So read along with me, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read chapters 8 and 9. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, 
entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service for the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who's praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry this offering, which we will administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we're sending with them our brother who has proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and even now more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they're representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most, most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I've said you would be. For if any Macedonian came with me and found you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expression of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, Paul starts out talking about giving with an example. Well, yeah, that's a great way to start a sermon. Lots of people do. Tells them an example about the Macedonians. Now, you need to know the province of Macedon. It's not exactly the same as the present country of Macedonia, but it's close enough if you know that area of the world, north of Greece. At this point in time, it is a dreadfully poor area. The soil's not good for farming. It's not good for herding. It is a terribly, terribly poor area. And Paul had planted churches there on his second missionary journey. We know he took three missionary journeys. He may have taken more. He talks about taking more, but but they're not recorded for us in the scriptures. But we do have three of them. And each time, Paul would go out. And on his very first journey, he was sent out. He was pastoring a church on the border between modern-day Syria and, and Turkey, And that church sent him out, sent him and some other guys out, and they gave him money. And they periodically sent guys up with money to support him because Paul would never take money from places where he was planting churches. He never wanted anybody to think that he was, you know, trying to make a buck, plant a church so I can get rich. So he wouldn't take any money in the places where he planted churches. So his first journey, he's supported by his home church. It lasts maybe a year, a year and a half. We're we're not exactly sure. And he just, if if this is modern day Turkey, he just goes right here. He just goes in a couple provinces and plants some churches. He plants the Galatian churches. That's where our letter to Galatians comes from. He writes back to them later. He goes a very small distance because he doesn't have a lot of funds. Now, after that, when he makes his second journey, the first place he goes to is those churches in Galatia, and he asks them for money. He never asks for money from the people where he's planting churches, but later on his next trip, he'll go back there and he'll say, and we have some, we have his letters, we have his talks and acts, he'll say to those people, hey, others paid for us to come here and plant a church. Now you need to pay it forward. You need to help support us as we go plant churches in other places. So Paul's second missionary journey, he'll be out for two or three years because he's got all these other churches behind him. One of the places he plants churches is the province of of Macedonia. Again, very, very poor area. He comes back home. Third missionary journey, he goes out. He'll be out for over four years on this one because now he's got two journeys worth of churches to support him. But when he goes to Macedonia, he's not planning on asking them for money because they're so poor. He's not planning on asking them to help support church planting because he's going to go on into the rest of Greece and then on up into modern-day Albania and Croatia. That's his goal of where he's going to go. And those places are so much richer than Macedonia, right? He's not going to take money from this incredibly poor province to go plant churches in these rich provinces of Greece, right? And do you hear what he says about these guys? They come to him. He doesn't ask them to. They come to him entirely on their own, he says in verse 3. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. They gave so much more than they could afford, Paul says. He says, they exceeded our expectations. Now imagine that. These guys impressed the Apostle Paul. 
The Apostle Paul who planted the church was not expecting this because he said they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Okay, so you know now why whenever you ask me a question, I give you the very frustrating answer of, I don't know, what does God say? Right? I mean, if you ask me, right, I'm thinking of robbing a bank. What does scripture say about that? That's an easy one. Right? There's things scripture says you must do. Okay, you got to do them. There's things scripture says you absolutely can't do. You can't do those. Most of our questions are in the middle somewhere. They're all the things that the Bible doesn't say exactly how to do. And I, people come to me like, oh, you know, I've got this issue that's going on. What do you think I should do? Oh, I have no idea. Let's pray. Let's ask God. That's what these guys did. They asked God, and God apparently said to them, yes, I want you to help support these churches down in the Peloponnese of Greece, these churches down in these other provinces. And so they came to Paul, and they said, hey, we want to give. We want to be part of this. And then Paul takes their example, and of course he does what you do with an example, right? He turns and he applies it in verse 7. Since you excel in everything, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, love, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And did you hear how many times he talks about how he can't tell them what to do? That's what he says in the very next verse, verse eight. I'm not commanding you, he says, because the commands are done. The commands had to do with the tabernacle and the Levites and the offerings and all those things. Those are over. Paul says, I can't command you what to give. He'll say up in verse 10, here's my judgment, right? Not, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the scriptures say. This is what you must do. Here's my opinion, Paul says, on what would be best for you because he can't command them. And so he's walking this line and wow, I mean, if you know me, you know I do not like preaching on giving. We don't even pass the plate in this church, right? I never want anyone to think that the gospel is about making money. Wow, I feel this line that he is walking where he cannot say, this is what you need to do, even though we all want that. We all want to know, okay, in this situation, what should I do? Somebody came the other day and said, you know, I've sold the house and I've made this money, but I'm going to turn around and put this money in another house. And what should I, should I give money out of what I've sold? What should I do? And I gave them my standard response of, I don't know. Pray, ask God, ask God what he wants you to do with that money. And, and do you hear how he's almost passive aggressive? Because He's trying to walk this very narrow line between you've got to give, that's a command, but I can't tell you how to give. So in chapter nine, right, talking to the Macedonians, he's like, hey, I've been, I've been bragging about you, Corinthians, to the Macedonians, and wow, they are seizing on your example, and so I thought I better send some guys to see you. So that when, uh, verse four, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, as you're not as generous as I said you were going to be, I, we, not to mention you, you will be embarrassed. We will be ashamed. Paul's got to walk this narrow line between, yes, you must give. Because remember what we talked about last week. 
In the old system with the tabernacle, God took a family, everybody who traced their ancestry back to the man Levi, who's a son of Israel, hence the name, the Israelites. Everybody in the family of Levi, they now work at the tabernacle. And you can go through the list, and I mean, it's everything you would expect. There's people in charge of the sacrifices. There's people in charge of maintaining the tents. There's guys in charge of linguistics. There's guys who are in charge of the carts to transport it as they move. There's people who are in charge of administrating all the food, the things that come in. Everything you would have to do in a church, they have to do. And that's what the Levites do. They're all, they're broken down, even narrower into families. You got people whose job is to teach, people whose job is to be musicians, people whose job is to be administrators. Everything is laid out and it's a family. And so they're not farmers and they're not shepherds and they're not blacksmiths. And we talked about, okay, well, how do they eat? They eat because tithes and offerings. God prescribed, this is what you have to do. Every 10th, when all your sheep are born, you parade them past the shepherd. Every 10th one goes to the temple for the Levites. That's how they eat. You have to give a tithe, whatever your food is. If you're a farmer, then it's a tithe on your grain. A shepherd, as we said, it's a tithe on your sheep. When, they, when a child is born, you have to bring certain offerings when you get to certain times of the year. That Everything is prescribed, and the point of it is, so God's ministers have food. That's what he said. Bring the tithe into the storehouse so there's food. And now, God doesn't take a family. God just calls individuals. You know, God calls Elizabeth and I. God calls Tim. God calls Becca. God calls Anna. God calls the Shantzes. God calls John. He, he calls individual pieces, people, and sends them into these different ministries. But we have the same problem. I'm not farming. I'm not raising sheep. I'm not a blacksmith. I'm not selling anything. You didn't pay to come here. They're, they're, they're... How do we eat? It's the exact same system he had before. He calls on the people of God to fund the work of God. In the old system, he demanded it. You will give this. But in the new system, there's no demands on what you do. It's simply that you must do something. Wow, I feel that tension that the apostle feels, that we need money to run this church. Georgia Power doesn't give us the power for free. The air conditioning you enjoy and the heating you enjoy, those aren't free, right? We pay for all those things and we don't sell anything. If you've heard me say many times, so far I have not found oil anywhere in the parking lot. Where does the money come from? You all, you all being generous. You give money to the church. Like that has to happen or the church is gonna close. But I cannot say to any single one of you, you must give money to the church. You must give this much to the church. Let me see your income tax form so I know how much you must give. I can't say any of that to any of you because that's not true. You must give, absolutely you must give to the work of God's people. But how much, where, when, that now has been put onto you. And so like the Macedonians, you have to talk to God. And Paul has to do kind of this passive aggressive thing of, hey, you know, you promised you were gonna give and I've been telling the Macedonians about what you promised and I don't wanna show up there and have you be like, uh, sorry, we decided to go on a cruise instead. He's trying to walk this line. I want you to listen to how often, like I started going through the whole passage, you know, as part of prepping it. All the times that Paul speaks about emotional words, words about desiring something, wanting something, 
So he tells the whole Macedonian story at the beginning, which is all about, you know, they, they came to us on their own accord entirely of their own. They urgently pleaded with us, right? They really want to give, okay? Listen to all these words. Then in verse 7, he talks about their earnestness. In verse 8, he talks about their earnestness and their sincerity. In verse 10, he talks about their desire to give. Verse 11, their eager willingness. Verse 12, their willingness. Verse 13, their desire. Verse 17, their enthusiasm. Verse 19, our eagerness to help. Verse 20, the zealous brother. Chapter 9, 22, the eagerness to help. The enthusiasm. Yeah, can't even read my own handwriting. The enthusiasm that they have. Verse five, a generous gift that God is going to give. Verse six, that they be generous people. Verse seven, decide in your heart. Don't give because you have to. Don't give under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, I stopped counting at that point because I'd filled up my page. Do you hear all those words? Enthusiasm earnestness, willingness, desire, generosity, not under compulsion, not because you have to, cheerful. The Apostle Paul wants them to want to give. It's not about them giving. He'll even say it later, a couple chapters in the book, in a place where like he is starting to get upset with them. And he's like, I don't want your money. I want you. I don't want your stuff. I want you. He wants them to want to give, to be excited about being generous, and you can't command that. I can command you to give 10%, right? And then we can start to haggle on it. Well, is that 10% on the gross or on the net? Is that 10% before taxes or after taxes? What about gifts in kind? Is that 10%? What about, we, we, okay, so this true story, I'm going to make fun of myself and my own mission. So in Wycliffe Bible Translators, the way the mission is funded is that we tithe. Because if you give me a dollar, it's mine. And so we all agreed together that we would tithe to the mission to pay the light bill right, to pay for the electricity, all those sorts of things, right? And then you have to start answering questions like, well, what about when grandma gives me a birthday gift? This is in our employee, this is in our handbook, right? Birthday gifts from family you do not have to tithe on. Birthday gifts from non-family you do, right? If you're gonna have rules, then you gotta have all of the edge cases because we're gonna argue, we're gonna negotiate about it right? We can't just say, look, we all agree. We're all going to give 10%. Again, we're paying for the lights that we all use. This is how the mission pays its bills. Just like you give me a dollar and I pay my bills out of that dollar, or in this case, out of that 90 cents. Once you start making the rules, again, God's got to tell the shepherds how to take the sheep. You don't get to go through and decide, well, I got a hundred new sheep here, so let me pick out the 10 I want to get rid of. Uh Uh-uh. You just heard them passed, and you just grab every tenth. It's random. Paul wants them to want to give. He wants them to be excited about giving. You can't command that. You can command a percentage. You can command offerings. You can command that the sheep are randomly paraded along. You can command all those things. But you can't command people to be jazzed about giving stuff away. But folks... God is jazzed about giving stuff away. 
I mean, that's what Paul says at the beginning. Who's our model for this, right? First, he tells the Corinthians all about the Macedonians and what they're doing. And then why? I'm not commanding you, he says. I'm not saying you gotta be like the Macedonians. You need to be like Jesus. Jesus, who though he was rich for our sake, became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. God is jazzed about giving stuff away. And that's what he wants from us. He wants us to be jazzed. And he is not impressed with percentages. There's a, Jesus tells a story. So the temple, their version of the the church, the tabernacle after they made it into a, a standing building out of stone and things, they didn't have set services. You didn't come at 1030 on a Sunday. So they couldn't pass the plate. So they do exactly what we did. They had boxes out. So whenever you came to the temple, then you could put in your offering. Because remember, it's required. It's the law. And Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and they're watching people come in the temple. And there's these guys that are coming in, and they're making a huge show about the money that they're giving. It's them and their entourage, and they come in, and they're, you know, and he turns back, and the guy pulls out the sack of gold and hands it to the boss, and the boss comes over, and the guy opens up the lid with a big whack, and then he puts the thing, they're making a big deal out of the money they're given, and they're given a lot, it says. They're giving a ton of money to the temple. And then this woman comes in, and she puts in 75 cents, or the equivalent today, two leptas, tiny, two, two of the, the tiniest coins that they have in the Roman Empire at the time. It's worth about 75 cents today, those two coins. She puts in two leptas and just keeps right on walking. And Jesus says to his guys, do you see that woman? She just gave more than anybody else today. No, she didn't. She gave 75 cents. The people behind her gave thousands of dollars. Do you see that woman? She gave more than everybody else to say because everybody else is giving off their excess. They're not even gonna miss that money. Yes, it's a ton of money, but they have so much more. They're not even going to miss it. That was the money she was going to buy food with tomorrow. She gave all the money she had to eat tomorrow. She will go hungry because she wanted to give it to God. That's what Paul wants us to be like. People who are jazzed about giving money away. People who are excited about it. Because listen to what he says at the end. Did did you hear how he talked about, I mean, first, the things that you hear all the time. That, that yes, those who spare so uh, so, so sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. I mean, if you're somebody who doesn't give much away, don't expect to get much back. Every culture in the world has this idea. You know, karma, paying it forward, whatever you want to call it. Everybody, culture in the world has the idea of what goes around comes around. God has put that into the world. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. Give what you've decided to give. Don't be reluctant about it. Don't do it because you have to. You're not under compulsion. You are not under compulsion to give. You are required to give, but there's no set amount. There's no set place. You decide that. But then listen to what he says at the end. This is in verse 11. He says the very end of that verse, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Through us, why? Because the Corinthians are gonna give money to Paul. Now, he doesn't say it here, but we know from other places in the letter, he's raising money for two things. One, he's raising money for, for Christians in Jerusalem 
because this is a bad time to be a Christian in Israel. You know, the, 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 things go back and forth. There are times when the Jews think very highly of the Christians among them, and there's times when they don't. This is in the late 50s AD, and this is a time when they don't. There's a boycott going on in Jerusalem of Christians. If you're a Jew who's become a Christian, no one will hire you because you're a traitor. You're a traitor to your people and a traitor to your religion. So if you're a carpenter who's a Christian, you can't get any work. So Paul's raising money to take to the Christians in Jerusalem for food because nobody will hire them. I mean, they just have to work in their own little bubbles. And he's raising money for church planning. He's raising money for his, he's on his third missionary journey. He wants to come through Macedonia, down through Achaia, where Corinth is, and keep right on going into the Peloponnese of Greece and then up and through Dalmatia and some of the other provinces. Oh, like I said, modern day Croatia and Albania. He's raising money for the poor and he's raising money for church planting. Paul's gonna take that money and some of it he's gonna send to Jerusalem. What happens when that money arrives in Jerusalem? I mean, imagine that no one will hire you because you're a Christian. You have no money, okay? And Christians from New York City send a bunch of money down for you and it gets distributed out. What are you gonna do? Amen. You're gonna thank God and you're gonna thank those Christians in New York. You're gonna thank God for those Christians in New York. God could have just given you money. Heck, you probably thank him more then. You just could have walked. We could walk into church. So you've heard us say, every morning, the staff gets together. Whoever, whoever is here, we get together. We read a chapter of scripture and we pray, right? One of the things we pray is we pray for you because we thank God that we, are, we got paid this week. We thank the Lord that he provided for everything we need. We thank him for your generosity. Now, I don't know who the you is because I don't know who gives money to the church. Right, Those are separate things, pastor and finances. I have no idea who gives anything to this church, but I pray for you, whoever you are, because I eat and we keep the lights on and there's heat in my office in the winter because of you. Paul says, you're gonna give, I'm gonna take that money and give it elsewhere and those people are gonna thank God for you. And do you see how he has connected us? Some of you were here when Elizabeth and I were missionaries in Africa. Okay? You sent us. You paid for us to go to Africa. We were support people. She was an accountant, and I was a computer guy. Okay? So we supported the translators. The reason a translation team could go out into this village in the middle of nowhere was because Elizabeth did all their finances back in the capital city. When they needed to buy food, they could come in and get money. When things needed to happen, there were support people that took care of it. The reason they could do their work on their computers was because I kept them up and maintained them. And when they got stolen, I had backed everything up. And so we just put all their language data on a new computer and boom, they just went. They didn't miss a day. Those guys translated the Bible. And people in that village became Christians. Now, what are people in that village doing? Oh, they're praising God he sent a translation team. They're praising God that somebody left their home and came to their village to tell them the truth about Christ. What's the translation team doing? They're praising God that God sent people like Elizabeth and I because they don't know how, they can't do their finances in the capital city and be in the village and they wouldn't know how to back up their computer if their life depended on it. They're linguists. 
They're, they're Bible translators. They're evangelists. They praise God that God sent people like Elizabeth and I to move to, to the city and to work. And we praise God for you because you sent us. There are people in heaven today who praise God for you that you've never met and you never will because of the chain. You won't meet them till eternity. They don't know you and you don't know them, but they praise God for someone who praised God for someone who praised God for you. Do you see why Paul calls this an indescribable gift? He could do it all himself. I mean, the translation, the Bible could just drop out of the sky. Boom, there it is. What would everyone do? They'd praise God. But he could just provide all the money for the translation team. What would they do? They'd praise God. All our money. Elizabeth and I could go into our house every morning. There's the money we need. We could praise God. So we're all praising God, but we're never thanking him for each other. There's no interconnectedness. That's why God does it this way. He is sharing his glory. He is sharing his grace. He's sharing his mercy. And folks, the way you get to do that is with your pocketbook. Because you can only be in one place doing one thing, right? I, I lived in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. I worked for Wycliffe Bible Translators. In these years, in these times, is what I did. Right now, I'm here. I can't be there. I can't be preaching this sermon and be fixing computers for translators in Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire. We can only do one thing at one time. But brothers and sisters, your money can go everywhere. It is going everywhere. If you give a dollar to this church, we turn around, we give 10% of everything that comes in, you can go read about them off that wall. Your money is in Africa. Your money is in Central and South America. Your money is in a couple different places in Asia. Your money is translating the Bible. Your money is planting churches. Your money is doing evangelism. Your money is building hospitals. And all those people are praising God for you. They don't know it's you but they are thanking God for it. Paul wants us to be jazzed about giving money away. I want you to be jazzed about giving money away. Because wow, there is nothing. Have you ever handed an envelope to someone that has a thousand, couple thousand dollars? and seeing the expression on their face. Better. <laughs> Have you ever handed an envelope to someone else and said, hey, go give this to them. Don't tell them it's from me. Don't, don't, don't let them, don't. Just tell them that someone told them that God told them to give them this. Have you ever watched from the corner of your eye as someone opens an envelope, falls to their knees, sobs hysterically, and praises God? And you just kind of walk off with a big smile. They never know, but they are praising God for you. Like, if you've never gotten to do that, wow, you are missing it. Like, when you have the choice between, okay, am I going to go on this cruise or am I going to give this money away? You get to choose either. I am not commanding you. It is not a command. I am just telling you I have been on a cruise and I don't remember a ton about it. It was fun. I'm sure it was great. Oh, I remember giving the money away. <laughs> when Elizabeth and I first got here, my parents gave us a van. We already had a van. Now we had two vans. So we gave our first van away. The van my parents gave us, oh, it's long gone. It died. 
I've got another car. I'm grateful for it. Every day I walk out, I'm grateful to God. Every time I see that van that I gave away, oh, I, you will, if you see me walking across the parking lot with a big smile on my face one morning, it is probably because I just saw that van drive by. Like, thank you, God. <laughs> you gave me a van, and I got to give it to somebody else. This is awesome. Thank you. And God didn't have to do that. He just could have given them a van. But instead, he gave one to me so I could give it to him. I want you to be jazzed about being generous because there is nothing else like it. I mean, you, you want a drug? You want a high that keeps? I gave that van away eight years ago. It still makes me smile every time. I mean, that is a high that does not go away. Giving yourself, giving your stuff, giving your money away, God wants us to be excited about that, and I want you to be excited about it. But I can't command you. I can't insist. I can't make you. I can just do what the Apostle Paul does. I can just walk that line. I can just tell you stories. I can just invite you. I can tell you, hey, we got stuff to do. We got to pay this building off. Because there's churches to be planted. There's missionaries to be sent. There's work to be done. But I can't say you need to pay for it. Because you don't. Because you got to do what the, Macedon- what the Macedonians did. You got to ask God. You've got to go to him. You've got to give yourself to him. And then, then you've got to do what he tells you to do. So I want to read you another pastor trying to walk this line. This pastor's name is John Piper. If you know anything about him, I tend to sort of see things in gray and be kind of wishy-washy. Wow, John Piper is not wishy-washy and he does not see things in gray. But he's got to walk the same line. I want you to listen to what he told his congregation. I think God took the focus off of the tithe, remember that old system where it's commanded, in the early church because he wants his people to ask themselves a new question. The question that Jesus drives us to again and again is not how much should I give, but rather how much should I keep? One of the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Great Commission. By and large, in the Old Testament, the people of God weren't a missionary people. But in the New Testament, the church of God is absolutely a missionary church. The spiritual hope, the physical and emotional sustenance that Jesus has brought to earth is to be extended by his church to the whole world. The task he gave us is so immense and requires such a stupendous investment of commitment and money that the thought of settling the issue of what we give by a fixed percentage, like a tenth, is simply out of the question. My own conviction, okay, so again, he's walking this line that the Apostle Paul has to walk, that I have to walk, I cannot command you. My own conviction, he says, is that most middle and upper class Americans who merely give 10% are robbing God. In a world where 10,000 people a day starve to death and many more than that are perishing in unbelief, The question is not, well, how much do I have to give? But rather, how much should I spend on myself? It is a biblical truth beyond all dispute. All your money is God's. It has been loaned to you as a steward to use in ways that will maximize the glorification of God's mercy in the whole world. 
So it is irrational to think that giving 10% of that money to the church somehow settles the issue of good stewardship. In a world of such immense need and in a country of such immense luxury and under the commission of such a powerful Lord, the issue of stewardship is not, should I give 10%? But rather, how much of God's trust fund should I use for myself? I want you to ask yourself that question. Again, I am not commanding you. I want you to ask yourself that question. How much should I keep? You've done your taxes. You know how much came in. You know what your expenses are. This is a one time a year. You got all the numbers in front of you. I want you to ask God, how much should I keep? Because wow, he always, he never answers that the way I expect. When we moved here, I wanted to live 15 minutes away from this church because the houses are cheaper. The same house in Peachtree Corners, you plop it in Dunwoody, it's $50,000 more. So I pled, that's what we plan to do. That's what we told our real estate agent. God said to Elizabeth and I, I want you to live in Dunwoody. You pastor in Dunwoody, you live in Dunwoody. And I said back to God, God, that's a stupid use of money. I, and God said back to me, yeah, but it's my money. I live in such a nicer house than I would have bought for myself. We had one car when I took this job. We, we shared it. We, we did it together. God said, you need to buy another car. God, that's a stupid use of money. Cars are stupid. They depreciate. They lose money. <laughs> it's my money. The only new car I have ever bought in my life, I bought because God told me I had to. Okay? Ask him, how much should I keep? I bet he surprises the heck out of you. I am taking my entire family to Disney World for my vacation this year because God told me to. That's a stupid use of money. That money could be used so much better in the rest of the world, (laughs) but it's not my money. It's his money, and that's what he said to do with it. Take your family off for a week for your birthday. It's my money. So if I say Jesus is Lord, then I got to do what Jesus says. Now, you know, other times Jesus says, give away your car. Never missed it. Other times Jesus says, give away this money. Never missed it. You will never outgive God, (laughs) ever. You will never outgive God. He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. The Lord repays. But don't ask the question, well, what am I going to give? How much do I have to give? Do I have to tithe on birthday gifts from grandma? Ask the Lord, how much do you want me to keep? What do you want me to do with it? Look, I know the number. I know what you gave me this past year. How do you want me to spend that money? And I bet he tells you to spend some on yourself you never would have considered. And I bet he tells you to give some away. So pray with me. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we are not as jazzed about giving away money as you are. I am sorry that you gave away your very life, that you lived in eternity You lived in your Father's presence in perfect light and perfect love, and you gave all of that. You gave all of that away for us. 
And Lord, you know we would never do that for you. You know we would never do that for you. I am sorry. I am sorry we are not generous like you are. You, you know how hard it is to trust you. You know how hard it is to believe that if I give this away, you will make it back to me. You know how hard it is for us to do exactly what this says, to believe that you will give abundantly to us, just like what you told them in Malachi. Try me. Bring the tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't protect all of the rest of your crops. You know how hard that is for us. Jesus, you're human. You understand. Please be merciful with us. Help us to be generous. I mean, we want to be. In our heart of hearts, we want to be. Oh, but it is so hard. Day to day, it is so hard to give things away and believe that you will give it back to us when we need it. Even though I've seen you do it over and over and over again. Jesus, please. Please be gracious to us. We are so in need of your mercy. Help us to be generous people. Not because we have to, but because we are excited about it. We, we are thrilled. We, we, are, we are arguing for a chance to give things away. We are fighting for a chance to plant churches. We are fighting for a chance to send missionaries, to, to give away what we have for your kingdom. Lord, be gracious to us. Remember us. We ask all this in your name. Amen.